I want to share with you a story from the scriptures that's revolutionary. It's uh, supposed to be shocking when you hear it. Uh, it's supposed to be unsettling in a lot of ways, but it's a story set 4,000 years ago. And so when we read it, it doesn't always sound that way, uh, but we'll talk about it in a second. It comes from Genesis chapter 12, early stages of the scripture, and it's a story about a man named Abram and his interaction with God. It says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, not super shocking to us because we live in a world that's very global. We live in a world where uh, it's still difficult. There's still culture shock. There's still a lot of hurdles to get over. They're still very emotional. But it's not necessarily uncommon for someone to leave their family of origin and to move to another city or another region, another country, or even another continent. In fact, many of us have done it. You got to a point where you were a young adult. Maybe you went away to school and you left your parents' house uh, and you went off to another place and started to live independently. Some of us have, have made big moves. Some of, some of us who are here today, you grew up, you were born in another continent, and for one reason or another, as, as you grew up, you decide to come to Canada or move to another part of the world. Maybe you're watching online, and that's part of your experience. And so that, that doesn't really rock us when we hear somebody say, hey, I'm asking you to kind of pick up uh, and move away. But just think a second, 4,000 years ago, we didn't live in this, this world where we had this global consciousness, where we knew what was happening in all other parts of the world, that your world would have been very localized. You would have thought in terms of who you could see and who you knew, who was all around you. And then there's this idea of, of what we just read about um, the, your, your nation, your father's family, and then God saying to Abram, I'm going to make you a, a new nation. I'm going to give you these descendants. And here's another part of the story that probably doesn't rock too many of us. But God says, and I am going to bless all the other nations through you. And you go, well, that sounds good. Why would that be revolutionary to everybody except this whole idea of your tribe or your nation? These are kind of words that would be translated similarly from the Hebrew here into the Greek uh, meant a lot to these people. In fact, their entire lives revolved around who their tribe was. And this is for a number of reasons. Tribes were about at least three things, probably a whole bunch more. But tribes were about, number one, family. This is our bloodline. This is the people we're most connected to. And not just family, but a collective identity. This is who we are. And in the ancient world, very much what you did as an individual reflected on your entire tribe, your entire nation. By doing certain things, you could bring shame on your entire tribe, or you could bring honor to your entire tribe. But it, we didn't, they didn't have this individualistic thinking that many of us do in our culture, where we just kind of, we're going to pick up and go and build a live life for myself, and maybe, you know, get married or have kids or, or whatever you're going to do. You were part of the tribe. That was who you are, how you derived your identity, so much wrapped up in your tribe. Second thing tribes were about were security. Top of mind in a world that was uh, very violent, we know historically at that time period, preservation of the tribe was extremely important. Survival was about your tribe. I'm not on my own. I have a tribe and we take care of each other. We make sure that we're protected. And there would have been different tribes, nations that sort of would have lived near each other. And those tribes were typically thought of as threats. And so our preservation as a people is important. We need to be there for one another. 
And we are the ones that are going to make sure that, that we survive. We're going to, if needed, fight against other tribes to make sure that our people, that our family, that our identity lives on. And then thirdly, tribes were about your gods or your goddesses. Every tribe had their own god or goddesses or more than one god or goddess. And it was about uh, who's god when you're fighting against someone else for survival or for their land or for the, the agriculture that you need to survive. It wasn't just about how strong we were. It was about whether or not our god or goddess can give us what we need, what we want. Will our god defeat their god? And so when they would go to battle, uh, one tribe against another tribe, it wasn't just humans fighting against each other. It was this idea, you know, we pray and we sacrifice and we've got all these things. We're petitioning our God to fight and hopefully be stronger than the other God, the other goddesses, because that's how we're going to survive, get what we need, and move on. And so in a world 4,000 years uh, ago, when travel was very different than now, you know, they didn't have trains or cars or planes uh, or any of that kind of stuff. And so mobility, you know, they didn't have like the internet. They didn't know what was happening across the world. It was very localized. We knew the people around us and they were kind of threatening. And our God is against their God. There was this, this very very um, kind, of, kind of violent and oppositional view towards the people around you. And so if you get all of that and you get how risky it is to live in that kind of world, when God comes to Abram and says, I want you to pick up and move away from your tribe and go on your own, which is something some of us have done, but very few people in this culture would have ever done or even thought of. You're going to pick up, you're going to go, you're going to be vulnerable. You're not going to have that tribe around you anymore. You're venturing out of all the things that made you who you are, your identity and your security, all the things that, that, that might drive fear in you. And he's saying, I want to be your God and I want you to come with me. And what is this tribe going to be all about? What is going to be the identity marker? And Abram, your tribe, your nation is going to be a blessing to all nations. Not Abram, and then I'm going to fight and kill all the other tribes. Again. But Abram, at the core of it, your role in the world, in a violent world, in an oppositional world, is going to be to bless. And so God says, I will bless you and I will protect you. I will give you promises. Do you understand now how revolutionary of a call that would be? How scary that would be, how frightening it would be, how vulnerable it would be to, to give up all of that and to go out and to decide whether or not you think that you could trust this God to actually give you what you need. Not to mention... Part of the promise to Abram is that he will have children, that he will become a great nation. Abram, we read, was old, too old to have kids. And so we see a very vulnerable person in a very vulnerable situation being asked to take a, a huge risk. A few chapters later, we read this as God shares with Abram how this relationship is going to work. Again, it might sound strange, and keep in mind, this is a story from 4,000 years ago. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and, I will and your reward will be great. The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. And of course, when you read this, you go, huh? A little strange, isn't it? Now, strange to us, not strange to Abram, not strange to the ancient world. So we have, we have certain ways of doing business 
here in 2022, especially if you think of, of big business, if you think of making a really big purchase uh, or making a really big deal with somebody, there's certain things that you would rightfully expect to happen. For example, you go to buy a car, you're going to expect that uh, as you would kind of agree with the salesman that you're going to buy this car, there's a process that comes into place, you're going to make an offer, and then he's going to pretend like he's humming and hawing, and oh, i got to go talk to my manager, he's going to go talk to his manager, well, I can't approve that price, but I could do this, and you're going to haggle back and forth a little bit, and then, oh, I'm going to go back to my manager, I'm going to lose my shirt on this deal, and he's going to make you think you're getting a really good deal, and you're going to pretend like you think you're getting a really good deal, so it makes you feel good about spending a ton of money, and then when you agree on it, there's going to be all this paperwork. And if you're borrowing money for the car, there's going to be a credit check and you go, yeah, I would expect that. And then there's going to be papers that we all have to sign and agree on and he's going to sign them and I'm going to sign on them. And then you go through all the other stuff. And for us, we would go, this is all business as usual. We expect that. If you've done it once, if you've done it twice, you're, you're going to start to go through the motions and realize that was happening. Now we read something like this and we go, that makes no sense to me. Cutting of animals seems violent, seems unnecessary. What on earth is going on? But this is business as normal in the ancient world. What's happening here is the forming of a covenant, the forming of a relationship. And it's not just a business deal. It's a, it's a life or death deal. It is uh, maybe the closest thing we still have to a covenant relationship, or the one that we, we still do have, uh, is, is marriage, is that people are entering into a relationship. And part of a marriage ceremony, as you go through vows and I do's, is two people come together and they look at each other and they go, here's what I'm going to promise to you. Here's who I'm going to be to you and how I'm going to treat you and the way our life is going to be. And the other person looks back at them and says, and I'm going to promise these things to you. And you do the vows and you read them out and everybody cries a little bit and you say, I do, and you join together. And usually part of that, you do the for better or worse, richer or poorer, in a sickner, sickness and in health, all that kind of stuff, until death do we part. That, that our idea for this is, this is a lifelong thing. And that's what's happening here. This relationship is a covenant is a lifelong agreement. And what, what would happen in the ancient world is that two parties would come together and they would agree on their relationship. They would agree on the stipulations of that relationship and how we're going to treat each other. And then you would go, well, how do we make sure that each one of us is going to follow through on our commitments and live out this relationship the way that we've promised it? Am I signing a lease? Is there paperwork? Do we shake hands? Well, here's what they would do. They would take animals and they would cut them in half. It's bloody, it's gruesome, it's violent. Many of us would say that seems very primitive to us. But that was sort of the point. This is very serious. This is a life and death relationship. And so they would line up the halves of the animals. And the idea was that when that happened, both parties of the agreement of the covenant would then walk through the aisle made by the carcasses of these animals. It's gross. It's violent. You see death all around you. And they would each say to each other something like this. Should I fail to uphold my part of this covenant, may I become like these animals? This is life and death. I'm committing to you. And if I can't treat you the way I've told you, if I can't follow through, if I can't protect you or care for you or, or, or be an ally to you in all the ways that we have promised to, then may I be like these animals. May I be ripped apart. May I die the way that they have died. Skip down a few verses. Gets your heart pumping, doesn't it? Whoa. How many times are you going to make that promise? Never, I heard. Can you just remember that for a few minutes? Okay. 
After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. The firepot, the flaming torch, are symbols of the presence of God. Notice something in this visionary. Think of the, the God who has promised to bless not just Abram, but the whole world through this tribe. The God who is promising protection, security, family. It's a great nation. I will make your name great. Notice, he's the only one that passes through the animals. Where we would expect in the ancient world, two people, both parties would walk through. And if I can't hold up my end of the bargain, may, may I be like these animals. And yet, we don't see Abram walking through the aisle. We see only God walking through the aisle. Do you see it? It's God. The only God promising that he will come through. Promising that he will give what he has promised. He will protect. He will bless. The whole plan, the entire plot, this new tribe that is being created to bless all the tribes, all the nations on earth will depend on what? Will depend on God's blessing, God's commitment, God's faithfulness. Abram, if I ever fail to lift up my side of the covenant, may I be like these animals ripped apart. Somewhere around 2,000 years later, after the time of Abraham, there was an Israelite, one of Abram's descendants, one of those who was supposed to be part of his tribe, part of a tribe that for 2,000 years, there were some good moments, but there were some tough moments. There were some downright ugly, violent, horrible moments where this whole blessing of the world and blessing of the nature certainly seemed in doubt, certainly seemed like it wasn't happening, like it had gone off the rails. But some 2,000 years later came a descendant, the seed of Abraham on the scene. He lived in a world much like we do that continued to struggle with blessing others, where actually we see so much cursing. We see so much opposition. We see so much tribalism in different ways, but us against them of hatred, of revenge, of sin, and of evil. And that man 2,000 years after Abram was Jesus. Jesus, before he was arrested and then crucified, had dinner with his disciples, the ones uh, who had followed him for three years and had heard him teach and had watched him heal people and provide for people, feed people, cast out demons, do all sorts of things in order to, to put on display the power of God, the reign of God that was at work. And they sat down and they were celebrating the Passover, as the Jewish people would of the time, uh, where they celebrate that God had brought them out of Egypt, their oppressors, and once again set them up as their own nation, as their own tribe, to try and get them back on track to bless the entire world. And in the midst of living in that world, where cursing so often took the place of blessing, it says that while they were eating, Matthew 26, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Can you see it? My body will be torn for you. Jesus, in essence, in the story of his people, his Jewish people, his Israel, Israelite uh, origins, 
saying we were called to be this tribe. And God walked through the aisle and he said, if I ever fail in my commitment to you, may I be like these animals, may I be torn apart, may my body be ripped apart to be faithful to the covenant, I will die for you. And Jesus comes and says, even if I fail in my commitment, my faithfulness to the covenant, which of course, he never would, but even if you have failed in your side of the covenant, I will give my life for you. And he would soon be arrested and beaten and mocked and crucified. After he told the disciples that this was his body, broken, broken, this is my body given to you, eat it. He would then offer them wine and say, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it. You see all the imagery of this violent death that you would see of these animals to Abram. Your body being torn, your blood being spilled, your life coming out. And Jesus saying, I will remain faithful even when you have not been faithful. You see, the whole plan, thankfully for us, depends on his faithfulness, not ours. And the promise that was given to Abraham is one that was fulfilled in Christ And the invitation goes out to us. We continue to ask, how how is our relationship going to go? How are we going to stay together? How will we stay bonded? What about the times where we feel too guilty? What about the times where we feel inadequate? What about the times where we know we have done what we ought not to do in our relationship with God? We come back to the one who says, even if you break our covenant, I will die to hold us together. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, there's this law about burying those who have been executed because they were convicted for a crime. It talks about someone who was hanged on a tree, and the verse essentially says that anyone who hangs hung on a tree is cursed. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul reflecting on Jesus' death, his crucifixion, and thinking of that law says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That means every other tribe, every other nation. The promise given to Abraham that you will be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing to all nations now fulfilled. That Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to all of us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And now we see that what was meant to be a curse, God made into a blessing. He fulfilled his promise to Abraham in Jesus. And so on Good Friday, when we remember the horrific violence that was done to Jesus on the cross, the curse pronounced upon his life, we start to see a glimmer of hope. And I pray today we will hear God whispering that in a world that desperately needs to hear it, the curse has been overturned. Sins are forgiven. Life is stronger than death and love stronger than the grave.